0: Yeah, part two.
1: Part two.
0: Shadow My and friends. bone. Yeah. You're not alone when you're reading oh. Shadow and Bone. Oh, oh. <laughs> Look at you go, Erin. I mean, you know. Just
1: freestyle.
0: I don't want to brag, long. but I don't want to brag, but I do teach rhyming to elementary schoolers, so like mm, I'm yes. pretty cool. You're an experienced improver, too. I mean, like, I mean, we're, you know, <laughs> it's, if you wanted to call it its own type of uh, small magic, you could, a small science. Um, yeah, the small yeah. science of of improv comedy.
1: Yeah, totally. Perfect. <laughs> it's like you, uh, it's like your Grisha powers is to, like, go into people's brains. Yeah. And, like, influence the part of the brain that registers humor
0: and yeah. makes people laugh. Which makes me feel right. like that's closer to Merzost than to anything um, good. But that's okay. <laughs> that's fine.
1: No, it's fun. <laughs> Sounds like a Twilight Zone episode, honestly.
0: Ooh, yeah. That, ooh,
1: yeah.
0: Um, Written by a bunch of really <laughs> angry improvisers in like LA. Yeah, it's good yep yeah totally love it um
1: okay <laughs> well we are sufficiently off the rails love um, it <laughs> love it love it Love it. so yes we are indeed talking about shadow and bone and we are pop dna yeah a, a podcast that has no real focus <laughs> it's fine um <laughs> Last time in part one, we talked. Uh, we kind of like set the stage, um, in like broad strokes. Yeah, for the world of the Grishaverse, and now we're gonna get into a little more specifics and nitty gritty. Yeah. So. Also, last time, um, I find I found out that I
0: um am Divergent. Nice.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Um, but that's neither here nor there.
0: So (laughs) that's just something we're gonna be, you know, really spotlighting and really like discovering with Rhonda because it's (laughs) such a new discovery. Yeah, right.
1: Yeah. So last time we talked about uh, just kind of the the like from a writing craft standpoint, like how Lee Bardugo approached building this world and then also got into the magic system of this of this fantasy world called the small science. Um so I wanted to kind of zoom in a little bit on another aspect of the world building but get a little more specific here so um when I first read these books this was the first time that I had read fantasy that is like inspired by Russia um yeah which is it's not (laughs) like I obviously the fantasy genre is like overwhelmingly full of like medieval Western Europe inspired <laughs> sure. worlds um, so it was not the it was not the first time that I read fantasy that wasn't that but it was the first time I read fantasy that was specifically inspired by Russia yeah so, which is really cool so I wanted to get into that a little bit um I wanted to start out with some exploration of Russian fairy tales.
0: Ooh.
1: Because we see a little bit of influence from those stories within the world of the Grishaverse. There's a couple of major Russian fairy tale figures that I think we see really clearly. So we have the Firebird or the Zhartitsa. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Russian speakers, I apologize. (laughs) I, yeah. Um, (laughs) uh, So the myth of the firebird is in many different Russian and also other Slavic and Eastern European fairy tales. So the firebird is a symbol of like a rare magical power. Um, Most of the stories involve people like trying to capture the firebird and use it for their own agenda yeah um the most famous story is of prince ivan who um he was the son of the czar um and he uh yeah that's an interesting interesting story um i go check that out um (laughs) so in the shadow and bone trilogy of course the firebird is one of the amplifiers that Alina seeks out. Yeah. Um so in Ruin and Rising she's looking for the firebird. And true to the original folklore in in Ruin and Rising the firebird has like a f- like flame like um like fiery feathers. Yeah. Um and uh eyes like gems is like I think that's like the direct quote from Rune and Rising, isn't it? Yeah,
0: um, I think I think story. so, yeah. Um,
1: and then the other Russian folklore figure that I wanted to highlight because I find her super fascinating is Baba Yaga. Yes. So um, Bardugo has not explicitly said that Bagra is influenced by Baba Yaga, but I mean, yeah. the name is enough uh-huh. to like make you kind of wonder. Um so and there's also a lot of similarities between the the two characters as well. Yeah. So in Slavic mythology, Baba Yaga is kind of she's kind of an ambiguous character like she's not like fully evil, but she's also not good <laughs> all the right. time. Um so she's like an elderly woman um most like you know in most stories she's a witch um and she live. this is interesting she lives in a house that has chicken legs and her (laughs) and her house will like run around on its chicken legs through the woods I love that Um, yeah um in some stories Baba Yaga eats children Uh (laughs) and she's like terrifying Um, But then in others, she actually, other fairy tales, she actually like helps the protagonist in whatever their quest is.
0: Yeah. Well, they got to be worthy. She's (laughs) got to figure out if she's going to eat them or if she's going to help them. I get it. Right. Yeah. Um,
1: And like we see with Bagra in the Shadow and Bone trilogy, um, the Grisha students... Her the way that she like teaches the students like they you know kind of see her as like um, not their favorite <laughs> teacher uh-huh. um, or they're even like scared of her but she also has you know a, like this vast body of wisdom um, and she also you know ultimately ends up helping Alina in her quest yeah so, kind of encompasses both of those sides of Baba Yaga um, she's my favorite character. I know. She's so cool. I want a um, point of view of just
0: her story. But anyway. Right.
1: I think there, I think I haven't read all of Language of Thorns, but there might be a story in there.
0: Ooh. Okay.
1: And then I just wanted to note because I'm all about book wrecks. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A couple other um, Russian-inspired fantasy novels that I've read since then, and that also draw on Russian folklore and fairy tales. So you should check these out if you like Shadow and Bone, um, the Winter Night trilogy by Catherine Arden, which is like yeah my favorite my favorite fantasy series ever, um, and it is like more. Loosely based on one particular story in Russian folklore. Okay. Um, and it's super good. And then also Uprooted and Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik, which are, they're not like, they're not like connected to each other, but they're both kind of uh, in like Russian or Eastern European inspired fantasy worlds, yeah, sure, and have that kind of fairy tale quality. Um, Spinning Silver is actually pretty, pretty uh, directly based on Rumpelstiltskin. Okay, um, at least one storyline, um, and then Uprooted is a little bit like Beauty and the Beast, but there's also a lot of other things going on in there too, but both very good. Yeah. Read those. Um <laughs> Uh so but but let's get a little bit more into like the other Russian elements in sh- The Shadow and Bone trilogy. I touched on this a little bit in part 1 about how Shadow and Bone takes place in Ravka, which is a fictional fantasy nation that is inspired by 19th century Russia but it is not 19th century Russia. Um, and I think it's important to keep that in mind in like in discussions around like historiosity or like historical accuracy. Yeah. Um, Looking, especially looking at like the design of, of the TV series. I think that's important to keep in mind. Um, but we'll get into that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so, um, Specifically with the books, though, Leigh Bardugo is very generous with her, (laughs) (laughs) with her thoughts on like how she created the world and, and, um, yeah, it's very easy to do research on this. Um, (laughs) in an interview that she gave for The Atlantic, um, which I believe was, so this was in 2012, so it was after, just after the first book had come out, I believe, um, and so the um, the interviewer asked, "How did you decide to set this the series in Tsarist Russia? It's a great setting, darker in some ways than the medieval Europe where a lot of fairy tales are set, but it seems to be ignored by a lot of writers." And so Lee Bardugo says, "The first thing I should say is it's not Tsarist Russia. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's a world inspired by Tsarist yeah. Russia." Yeah. Um, Yeah, and she notes, people seem to hear that there's a different cultural touchstone being used than medieval England, and they instantly go to alternate history, (laughs) right? (laughs) Even seeing the map, given all of the things that are happening in it, they seem to go alternate (laughs) Russia. Um, (laughs) And she says, I knew I wanted to take readers someplace different. I love the standard fantasy setting of medieval England and medieval Europe, but I wanted to go somewhere different. And she talks a little bit about the world building phase. Um, She says that she went to a used bookstore um, and was like looking through these old travel books and like geography textbooks. And she says, I came across this Russian imperial atlas. There was a cover with three men in fur hats next to a sledge in snow. I started flipping through it and and it had trade logs, military campaigns, shifting borders, Pretty much instantly, I knew this was the right world for the book. There were already these fundamental issues deep divisions in class, an ill equipped army, the idea of an elite drawn from other countries and called upon to defend the country. There was all that stuff, power dynamics that were already emerging in the narrative, and finding Tsarist Russia as an inspiration helped bring them into focus. Yeah. Yes. I like I just, her. Yeah, I love her so much. She's so cool. I, yeah. She seems like a, a very, like, kind and genuine person. Yeah,
0: too. like, she's um, just going after her dreams. How cool. Yeah. Anyway. She's,
1: like, she is, like, living the life right now, yeah. honestly. Like, she's got, like, all these best-selling novels. Happy a for A Netflix her. show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> her bank account is very happy, I'm it's, sure. It's um. pretty full. You're good. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> OK, so in a another interview that she gave for Town and Country, um, and this one was right around when the Netflix series came out. Yeah. So just, you know, just this spring. So she, you know, kind of goes through like her whole her whole spiel again about how like Rovka is inspired by Tsarist Russia of the mid-1800s. But that but it's not alternate history. Yeah. Um, and she mentions that like some of, some of that like synced up with the themes that were already in her head. So like some of what was happening in the mid 1800s in Russia just kind of fit with what she wanted um, for the story and for the characters. Yeah. Um, she mentions um, the failure to industrialize, the big divide between rich and poor, an army of very young conscripts. Yeah. And then this same article also um, interviewed the executive producer and writer of the show, Eric Heisserer, um, who I would also like to note, wrote the screenplay for Arrival, which is one of the best science fiction movies of the past decade. Yeah. As well as Bird Box. Oh, wow. And Final Destination 5. My favorite series right? of all time. Yes, we got the Final Destination guy on this show. So what? <laughs> right. So he, <laughs> so he kind of talks about how, um, you know, the like the inspiration of eighteen hundreds Russia, is you know gave them like a direction for like the design, and the um the world of the of this of the TV series, um, yeah. So he says, 1800s Russia was absolutely the blueprint that me and my team building this world started with. You need something like that when you take on a project as ambitious as a second world fantasy show because everything is being made from scratch. Um, He goes on to say, having touchstones to reference means making decisions about what real world history exists in the shadow and blown universe and what doesn't. Which that's something that the writer of the article adds. And I just find that very odd (laughs) that they would even consider like, oh, well, what real world history exists in this completely made up fantasy world? Like, why are they even asking that? But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. So Heiser goes on to say, um, like, you have conversations that jumping into this, I didn't expect to have. Um, he talks about the costume designer who came to him and said, all right, I know we're in this era. We're inspired by this time. However, I would really like to outfit someone in a material that wasn't invented until a little after the 1860s. What kind of wiggle room do I have? And (laughs) so he's, and I mean, he says, like, we had to make calls like that on a regular basis. But I just still find that really, like, (laughs) that they would even, like that they would limit themselves in that way to be like, can we put fabric from the 1860s into this fantasy world? I don't know. (laughs) Like, I (laughs) can't, like, I just find that. So like, I think that just like shows like how in this mindset, even the creators of the show are, That, like, oh, we have to be historically accurate, but it's, like, it's not history, though. So what are we being accurate to? Like, yeah. Kind of, like, I mean, there have been, like, conversations about this, like, with Game of Thrones. Where, like, it's inspired by history. Yeah, but no one, no one, you know, in the production of Game of Thrones was concerned that their fabric wasn't authentic to no. the Wars of the Roses <laughs> right. in England. So it's just interesting to me that that this was a concern. Anyway,
0: um, I heard Ed Sheeran wasn't even performing. Ed during Sheeran wasn't
1: even born um,
0: during Wars of the Roses, and he certainly wasn't a soldier. So, but Ed Sheeran is together. my
1: favorite Game of Thrones character. I would like to know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I don't even like Ed Sheeran. Um, but <laughs> <sighs>
0: yeah,
1: so yeah, just, just very interesting um (laughs) yeah I have yet another yet another Bardugo post yay um, to directly quote from about the about the Russian historical influence so this was a post on a guest post on John Scalzi's blog John Scalzi is a best-selling science fiction author a pretty good one, too. um <laughs> <laughs> um, and so she um gives this like account of kind of how she was first inspired, like the initial spark for Shadow and Bone, and it's very like Mary Shelley esque because okay. she had this like uh, like she wasn't asleep, so it wasn't like a dream, but it was like kind of like a nightmare vision thing. The way that she recounts it. Um, So she says, shadow and bone began at the end of a darkened hall in an unfamiliar house. It began with my hand scrabbling along the wall for the light switch. Sure that I could hear something breathing in the dark. Something with too many teeth waiting for me to inch just a little closer. After I reined in my heart rate, talked sense to myself, made it to the bathroom and back to bed. I lay awake thinking of what it was like to cross that hallway, and I began to wonder, what if darkness was a place?
0: Ooh.
1: Yeah. Um, I just got chills, and I like... I know.
0: Oh, that's cool. She's so
1: good. Um, <laughs> um. So she goes on to talk about how, like, in fantasy, it's very common that darkness is, like, a metaphor for evil or, you know like destruction or whatever. Um, And so she wanted to um, kind of take that idea, but make it more literal. Um, And so like, she started thinking about what are the implications of like, if darkness is a place. Um, And then of course, like there's going to be monsters in there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then, and then that's kind of how she got to the idea of who would be leading the fight against this darkness and so that's how alina was born um she says i could see a girl there drawing light to her leading a regiment through the nightmare territory but what the heck are they doing there (laughs) what would lead what would lead our heroes to do battle in the dark so she kind of goes over how she um envisions um the the magic uh, you know kind of a brief cliff notes view of how she envisions the magic um, and the shadow fold. And then eventually gets into a little bit more about the Russian inspiration. Um, And so she says, people ask me why I chose Russia as the cultural touchstone. The easy answer is I wanted to build atop something other than the familiar high fantasy bedrock of medieval England. (laughs) But there's more to it than that. Um, So she tells the the used bookstore story again about how, you know, she found the Russian atlas. And then this is, uh, she wrote this post a few years after um, that other interview where she talked about the the bookstore. Um, And she says, looking back, the choice seems obvious. A kingdom on the brink of collapse. An incompetent monarchy squandering its resources, the failure to industrialize, an ill-equipped army of conscripted serfs—that's a lot of tinder looking for a spark, and it felt like the perfect fit for the broken world I was looking to create. Yeah, um, she also talks about um, the changes in military technology, you know, in in the Grisha verse that parallel what was really happening in Russia at the time. How they, you know, the Russian army was kind of very reluctant to adopt these new technologies in weapons and in military. Um, yeah. And so this, she kind of goes over how the, that introduces like this. If it's a fantasy world, that introduces this interesting dichotomy. She, and then she says, I did start to wonder what would happen if you brought a gun to a magic fight. Right. Which is, yeah, so interesting. Yeah. Um, and then one last thing I wanted to note, when she first drafted the story, I think even before she had the idea that the world would be inspired by um, 19th century Russia... Um, Alina and Mal had parents. They weren't orphans. Um, Right. She notes that um, I didn't want to play into the orphan trope in fantasy because you see that so much. Um, And then she says, um, as I was researching, I learned that when Napoleon attacked, so like in the early 19th century, Russia was all about France. Like the aristocrats Uh were heavily invested in trying to be as French as possible because that was right you know France was like all about it in the late 18th (laughs) early 19th century Um, and then she says and then Napoleon attacked and all of a sudden that fell out of fashion many of the noblemen just went and hid in their country homes but many chose to serve and they served on the front side by side with their serfs this was a sort of revelatory moment for many of them, spending these long nights in siege with people who they didn't, they hadn't even considered people before. Right. So when they returned from this, many of the officers freed their serfs. Um, she says, "I found this so poignant that I went back and I rethought Mal and Alina's origin story." Yeah. Which I think that really, you know, I didn't look, I didn't look too far into that, but this idea of. You know, it's this army fighting a war, but like, m- almost everyone in this army is very young and very inexperienced, and yeah. not very skilled. And they've been in this fight, you know, their entire lives. And yeah. many of them don't even really understand what it is that they're fighting for. Right. Um, which you know, I just find such a such a tragic. A tragic state of of being
0: yeah yeah it really I'm gonna get nerdy it really <laughs> changes you developmentally too right like growing Absolutely. up in that arena of terror where you never really get to be a, a child you know you never get the luxury of safety you know and it's such an interesting way to set up a lead character and kind of, um, a relationship. And it's, um, something that fascinates me. And I, I definitely researched it also. Um, and I think it just changes Alina's, um, it entirely changes Alina as she comes to power. Right. So Mm -hmm. like we watch her coming into her power, into her own, um, Front, throughout the entire um, journey, through finding out, oh, maybe I have this power to being Sancta Alina, um, which, if you've listened to the audiobook of the third book, um, you hear a voice actor in a horrible Russian <laughs> accent just saying Sankta Alina like a million <laughs> times. Um, I just love had that. to. Because the operat says that like a million times in the first twenty pages of that the makes third me so book, happy. so you just hear this woman going Sankta alina" like over <laughs> and over and over and over. You're like, that's not a Russian accent, okay? But no, I it's digress. It's a Rovkin
1: accent. It's a it's Rav- not but Russia, Aaron, It's Rovka.
0: But I don't think the I don't think whoever was directing the audio books knew that. But anyway, it's fine. Um... <laughs> Shots fired, but okay. Um, so I joke because this is going to get a, to be a sad conversation, what I have to say about. So if you or talk about, so if you find the impact of early loss of innocence or children of war to be triggering, um, go ahead and sit this part out just because it's a big topic. And I, I did want to put that disclaimer out there before I get into it. Um, so take a minute, turn it off if you would like to, and then let's get going. So, um, you just heard my teacher voice. There you go. Beeping. But, um, <laughs> so we watch Alina as she makes these self discoveries, as she comes into her power and it's all set in this arena of war. You know, she's work. she's following, um, the military forces and she's there. she's one of their map makers, which, what a cool job that would right. be. Um, and you watch Mal do the same, you know? You watch Mal, and I think the specific interesting thing about Mal is that you, and I wish we got his point of view, because that would be so interesting. But yeah. we watch, we watch as he grows up being kind of a leader within the military. Being, like, taught how to lead a military um and being really good at it from a really young age. So he is good at this really destructive thing. And I think um, you see some of that development. Like some of that Alina is, is telling the story of. You know, there are some moments where she can tell that Mal is feeling a certain way about having an ability to do something destructive. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wish we got more of it because I think that's really powerful and there's a bunch of other stories that I have been fans of I'm kind of obsessed with this idea of Mm -hmm. like not only the loss of innocence but never really having innocence in the first place that I think is unique to children of war children who are involved in these greater conflicts from a very young age Um, like compared it like we all just to kind of kind of make fun of harry potter a little bit (laughs) we harry potter lives under a cupboard and yes that's very sad but he's not (laughs) fighting a war you know like he's not it's just different um anyway that's all i'll say about that he does lose his parents and that's very sad and we don't need to talk about
1: harry potter it's okay
0: but then
1: there's plenty more
0: it's the first thing that popped into my little brain. Aww, um, I'm sorry. No, no. <laughs> um, no, I so... mean, I'm sorry that that popped into your brain. <laughs> <laughs> I just mean, there's a difference between that and a character like Alina or a uh-huh. character like Mal, who was just part of an army um, from a very young age. And I, the i fir- I've talked about this before. Um, but I wanted to talk about Attack on Titan, which is a manga and an anime, mm-hmm. um, and it's—I I think I even talked about it on our Hunger Games episode. Yeah,
1: and you also but, wore an Attack on Titan sweatshirt to Run Fair.
0: <laughs> oh, I did. I certainly did. Um, Run Fair. Run Fair. Hmm. So, Attack on Titan is literally the story of three child soldiers who never know anything else but growing up in the ranks of this army. It's set in a world where all of humankind live inside the walls of of these gigantic walls to keep them away from humanoid giant monsters who literally feed on humans. And they're gigantic. And they have, so they're like the size of skyscrapers. What? And... um, they use like flying like machines to help these soldiers fly in order to fight these huge skyscraper like monsters. And it's often children doing the fighting. Mm. Um, And the lead character, Aaron Yeager, um, vows to fight on after he watches his mother die and his family get taken from him based on, or because of these humanoid monsters. And so, um, it's the story of him and his his friend Mikasa, um, and they both go through this process of, like, a loss so extreme in all parts of their world that um, there is, there's almost no such thing as happiness. Like, sure. every part of it is, every joke that's told is melancholy. Everything is sad. Every high point is low. Um, and I just couldn't help but thinking of Attack on Titan. As I was um, reading, especially the beginning of um, Shadow and Bone, but also of the third, um, see, I almost called it the episode, <laughs> almost the third book when she's meeting the younger soldiers who are choosing yeah. to join her. Um, yeah. And the young boy who helps Bagra um, and his face as she tells him that, oh, he can train, you know, so he takes his little wooden sword and he um, gets really excited about it. So there's that there's innocence there for being excited to fight a war. But there's also like he watches the other things that unfold during the very end of um, Ruin and Rising. So he watches Mm -hmm. Bagra jump from the ledge. He watches all of that and kind of gets his innocence taken from him um, in the same way that Alina and Mal have theirs taken from them. So definitely Attack on Titan is something I thought of. I'm not going to go into it too (laughs) much, but obviously The Hunger Games also... For sure. Katniss is never a child. She takes care of everyone around her. She gives up her life to take care of her sister. Like, it's, you know, you get it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's that's interesting. Like, I, you know, I think that, like, at the time that the Shadow and Bone books first came out, like, they probably were, like in like blurbs they were probably compared to the hunger games a lot just because you know it's like these two YA series with a young female protagonist who like is tasked with saving her her world you know like that's kind of like which you know like That's broad strokes. That's what a lot of YA fantasy and science fiction is about. Um, But I do. So like, yeah, broad strokes, like there are a lot of similarities between hunger games and shadow and bone, but I do like that. You noted here that Alina or that Katniss becomes like almost a mythic figure. Right. To, to the people of Penham, which is, yeah, that's, yeah. And what a, what a lot of pressure to put on a 17-year-old, right? Oh my like, gosh,
0: absolutely. Yeah, man. Like, there's even similarities for when Katniss is being introduced um, and the whole game show a- aspect of The Hunger mm. Games is similar to how right. kind of Nikolai and Jenya both work with Alina of how she is to present herself, uh-huh. you know? Yeah, the PR. And Alina- <laughs> Alina's like I present how I present whatever in the same way that Katniss is like why does that matter because because they have never had the safety to care about looks or any of that stuff because they've been in danger their whole lives you know so they're pretty I want to rewatch the Hunger Games it's been a second Um, yeah for sure a similar one is the backstory for Geralt of Rivia in the Witcher so for survival he is dropped on the doorstep of the witcher school when he's very young um, and he is left there and the entire point of the witcher school is to be so harsh on these young children that they become witchers there's more to it fantasy fans I can hear you screaming at me <laughs> but for the the conversation that we're having here they're given these extreme circumstances and they either live or die. They either become a witcher or they're dead now. So that's a fun vacuum. Seems like a flawed Um, system. I'm just (laughs) a little bit.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And not very efficient because in, in in our, you talked about that in our witcher episodes. And didn't you say that like, it's a very small percentage of children who actually survive this.
0: They like, fully all they all die except like that's two like, of them. Yeah. How? Why? Like that's and, not efficient at all. Like, what are? What's? Yeah. And then after <laughs> anyway. that, when they become a witcher, everyone hates them. Everyone's scared of them. Uh, everyone calls them awful. So what the heck? But okay.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, By the way, go ab- listen. Go listen to our Witcher episodes and our Hunger Games episode. But yeah. you know. I feel like I want to revisit the Hunger Games.
0: At some yeah, point. me too. For this, for the pod. Yeah. I think we should. I think it's wise. I, I also, yeah. I have the Witcher series on my TBR for Halloween. So yay. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, so all to say that Geralt never gets his innocence either. And that's why he's hardened to the world. And then everyone is all mad at at. Being a witcher and afraid of his power and so that's why he's a grumpy little little grump face is because (laughs) no one likes him and he just kind of has to deal and meanwhile he's looking for siri who anyway i'm getting into it but next he doesn't have an iphone (laughs) he also does not have an iphone so Um, we can't find siri so Oh, oh no oh no Oh no!
1: I'm sorry. I had to. I loved it. I had to. I loved it. No, I can't believe no one's made that joke before. I'm so
0: original. (laughs) We gotta. We gotta. Yes. These are the jokes.
1: They don't get any (laughs) better. These are the
0: jokes. (laughs) Okay, go on. You were saying. So the next book that I have on my list is "She Who Became the Sun" by Shelley Parker Chan I've heard of this. I'm like eight chapters in, and it's really good, um, but it's another story of someone who never had safety. So this is about a young woman who rises from losing her family um, to a famine and to a lack of resources caused by conflict um, to a leadership role in a in an army and um, to power and to in the book she's she's not concerned about her happiness. She's not concerned about comfort. She is concerned with survival. Um, right. She's in the first few chapters. She is referred simply. If she's referred to simply as the girl, she does not get um, a name. She does not get mm. any niceties at all. She just has to survive. She watches both her dad and her brother die in that first chapter. And then she takes on her brother's um, identity because um, her brother has been declared a genius by um, a seer he's been declared like someone who's to do great things um, they go to a seer and have their fortunes foretold and um, the the seer foretells that the that her um, brother is going to do great things is going to be a magical leader is going to not magical in the terms we were talking about earlier, but just like a phenomenal leader. Mm-hmm. And then she has to. She sneaks back in. She's not allowed to get her fortune told herself. She sneaks back in and she has the the seer tell um, her story. And she says, "You're nothing." Mm. And then we watch as her brother dies, and she takes on his. Um, identity in hopes that she can save herself because he was to have been something. Um, And it's, and we like, there's, there are elements of magic in there. Like we watch that. She watches their souls go up to heaven. They become ghosts in front of her and the ghosts. Yeah. Throughout the story, like ghosts whisper to her. And when she's in certain places, she can like hear the, um, the ghosts that exist there that live there it's really good i'm really into it um but she's definitely a story of it's definitely a story of someone who get who never had innocence to begin with um Mm -hmm. and who then leads to power and then no these are it's fine so um Uh, well i would i would add to
1: this list um um, the Poppy War by yeah. R.F. Quang. And I would add An Ember in the Ashes by Sabah Tahir. And I don't want to platform this author, but Ender's Game. Um, okay. It is also very, very much. Um, all of those are, you know, childhood loss of innocence because they have to fight this war. Right. And they're kind of drawn into it before they have a chance to, you know, be, make choices as adults. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah. It just seems f- to be the theme that you're going for here.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's some you could say I'm a little fascinated with it as a whole. Um, it it shows up in a bunch of the things I read because I think it just creates such a sharp resilience because there is no other option. Right. You know, yeah. Um, now I just want to go read the rest of She Who Became the Sun. Um, it was interesting because I had been reading that, and then I took a break to read Shadow and Bone. And even the title, She Who Became the Sun, and the Sun Summoner reminded me a lot of each other. Sure, sure, sure. Um, yep, yep, And just young individuals. Like, like- Juliet. It is the East,
1: <laughs> and Juliet is the Sun Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Can you imagine like a YA fantasy retelling of Romeo and Juliet where Juliet has to like lead an army,
0: and because
1: she has become the sun, and mm, that's that idea is free. You guys, you can run with it. That one's free for you. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. I feel like this was a really fun well not a fun it was not a fun talk. This was a really interesting dive we went on, Rhonda. Yeah.
1: This was a this was an interesting one. Another long episode. I like how we <laughs> our episodes keep getting longer and longer.
0: We yeah. have too much to
1: talk about, Erin. we're well, too she chatty. Wrote,
0: she wrote what, nine books? Come yeah. on. It's <laughs> it's a lot.
1: Yeah, it is a lot. Yeah, but uh, next week we're gonna really tear it up. We're gonna yeah, we're gonna go hard. <laughs> <Next> <laughs> if you
0: <week. laughs> thought this was us going easy, talking about death and famine and loss of innocence, yeah. next week we're really gonna we're get really into, it. into it. We're really getting
1: into it. So. Uh, tune in
0: (laughs) (laughs) but seriously thanks for being here yes
1: thank you for being here today i'm doing the princess diaries (laughs) wave thank you for being here today today. um (laughs) and we will catch you next time then there folks (laughs) okay bye okay bye